Okay, every year, every year, about this point, about this weekend in December, uh, what happens is I remember I have got something of a love-hate relationship with Christmas. I really do have a love-hate relationship with Christmas. There is a lot to love about Christmas. Don't you agree? I mean, even some of the carols we sung earlier on, and the songs and the food, and even time, fam, there's a lot to love about Christmas, but there is a negative side as well, because like many of you, I really struggle buying Christmas presents, absolutely struggle uh, with it. It's really hard to do, isn't it? Like to, to buy that just that 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 right thing that uh, it's got to be a thoughtful gift and get the right thing the nice thing for all these people and really start and then of course you throw into the mix that i am a scotsman and of course you know a, a stingy scotsman as well uh, so so buying christmas presents is not easy not easy for me well this morning in our time together what we're going to do actually just is to look at just not that section of scripture but just to look at one solitary verse that we read out have a guess which verse we're going to look at john three sixteen together and this is what i hope and pray will unfold before our eyes that behind all of this glitter and the tinsel there's good news at Christmas, and it's this, that God has given us a present. God has given us a present, and it is the greatest gift of all. And and this will benefit you if you have the Bible there in front of you. Like, if, if you have it open, I'll give you the page number again. It's page, come on, it's easy, page 888, okay? And John 3.16, if we have it there. And the first thing that I want us to look at here is to think about the grounds of the gift, the grounds of the gift, this great gift that I'm saying, this present that God has given, the grounds for it. Now, it's fascinating, don't you think, to think about people's motivation for buying gifts at Christmas. Well, I think it's fascinating to think about people's motivation, largely because people's motivation for buying gifts at Christmas varies so much, don't you think? Take that person who's buying a present for their boss, are you doing that this year? Are you buying your, are you buying your line manager? You're buying your supervisor. You're buying your boss. Why, why do we do that? Why do we do that? You know, partly maybe it's just that it's this kind of sense of I better do it to keep them sweet. You know, part of it maybe buying a boss a present just to kind of impress them. Now you compare that with, let's say, a mum. Okay, and her buying her little daughter a present at Christmas. Why she did? She's not doing that to try and impress the kid. Why she's doing that out of love, right? You'd hope so. In a way, she's doing it out of devotion and care for. The, do, do you see what I'm saying? That the, the motivation for buying a Christmas present varies a lot. Well, listen. In verse 16, we are told that God has given that God gave. So what's the question we want to know? We want to think about, well, what has motivated the creator to gift us a gift? What's what's inspired God? What's driven God to give? Well, do you want the answer? Look at the beginning. Have a look. Brilliant words. Life-changing words. Look at the beginning. I marvel at it every time. It says, God so loved. Isn't it? Come on. Aren't you with me already, isn't it? Marvellous. 
you think about it, the giving of the Son by the Father, the gift of Christ, that this wasn't because God felt, oh, I'm compelled to do this. It wasn't that God felt this just this duty, this responsibility. Do, do you not see what it is? The giving of the Son comes out of this unfathomable, deep heart of God's love. Now, that is such a beautiful thought that what we could do is reflect on how contradictory it is to the thinking of the modern world. Because come on, folks. Like, how does the world today in our society about God? Like, you hear this all year, don't you? That God, because of the suffering in the world, God is uncaring. In fact, you know, I don't know some of you this morning. Maybe that's how you have come into the church this morning. Maybe that is how you're thinking about God. You think that God is cruel, God is cold, God is uncaring. And yet, what is this? What does Scripture tell us? Actually, Scripture tells us, listen to this, that God is love. Isn't that something? That that is, his love's part, a fundamental part of his nature. In fact, I want you to think this through with me as well. Now, this is a beautiful, I love this. That since God exists in three persons in the Godhead, what is true of God in the Bible? If he exists in three persons in the Trinity, unlike any supposed deity, unlike any other supposed power, if he's three persons in the Godhead, God exists in a permanent state of loving relationship. He exists in a permanent state of love. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't it beautiful? And we could reflect on that. But I think you know what we have to do. We have to ask, well, what is the object of God's love in John 3.16? So have a look at it with me. Yes, he intra-Trinitarian love. But who does God love here? Do you see it? Maybe the boys and girls can get it as well, do you? We're told, for God so loved the world. He loved the world. And even if you don't recognize it, realize it, we're just about to walk into this big minefield here. God so loved the world. So what does that mean that he loves the world? Who does God love? Um, have you ever come across people who just seem fixated on particular or a particular word? Maybe people a bit younger who just, maybe they're, because of their limited vocabulary, they just keep using the same adjective. Have you ever come across people like that? I, I have, but you're going to laugh at me as I, I do this. So you've got to restrain yourselves. Do not laugh at me too much. When I was young, and I was a teenager, I used to go around with a group of people, group of guys on skateboards. <laughs> Can you imagine your minister on a skateboard? Can you? I really hope not, to be honest. I hope you can't. But we did. And we went around with one of the guys who was fixated on the word awesome. All right? So for, for him, genuinely, everything was awesome. Really Maybe the boys and girls can picture it. So one of our group would do that big trick on a skateboard and they would land it beautifully and they would skate off into the distance. And do you know what the guy would say? He'd say, oh, that was awesome. Okay, but then what would happen, boys and girls, somebody else would come along, try a, try a trick and completely mess it up and they would land on their face. And what would you hear from the guy? You'd hear the same thing. You'd be laughing. At, ha, ha, ha. That was awesome. Now, do we see it? A person coming back to the same term, the same word, the same word all the time. 
Well, what we have to appreciate is in a much more positive way, that's what's going on in front of you just now. That throughout this book, throughout the gospel, the author, this guy John, throughout the book, he keeps coming back to a word, this term, the term world. John, the evangelist, keep coming back to this term, world, world, world. Now, wait a minute, what does it mean though? Because we could get this really wrong, don't you think, in John 3.16? Like we could think, is God commending humanity? God so loved the world because it was awesome that he gave the son. We could think of it like that, and it is not that. So if you get nothing else this morning, please listen to this. Will you listen to me? Please, just for this phrase. When John the evangelist used the term world, he's making an ethical statement, a moral statement. And he is speaking about humanity in rebellion against God. When John the evangelist, when he uses that term world, more often than not, he is speaking about man. Yes, the world, man, humanity, but humanity in rebellion, in opposition to God. And, and maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking, yeah, it's deep for first thing in a Sunday morning. Don't quite get it. You will get it. You will get it if you listen to these examples. Now, John 1 verse 9, will you listen to this? It says that though the world was made through him, what does John say about the world? That the world did not recognize him. Or John 7, verse 7, and this is our Lord Jesus saying this, the world hates me. And then John 15, verse 18, Jesus says to you, he says to his people, if the world hates you, you've got to understand that the world hated me first. Now, does everyone in this room understand what I'm saying? When John speaks about the world, what is it? It's a moral statement. And what does it mean? It's a negative statement. And it means mankind and humanity in rebellion against God. Now, I look around this morning. It's a delight for me this morning because there's so many visitors in the congregation. It's a lovely, lovely thing. And, And maybe this is true of you, especially if you're not normally at church. If you listen to that, Maybe what strikes you is the divine diagnosis of the human heart. Because isn't it an incredible thing that Scripture tells us and God tells us? That as we all come into this world by our nature, what does God say? God says that we are hostile to him. We are in antagonism. We are at enmity. We are enemies with God. And maybe this morning that strikes you. I think, honestly, it should strike us. But if it does strike you, this is what I also hope happens right now. By the grace of God, that you are given new eyes, new appreciation, new wonder of that verse you know very, very well, John 3, 16. Because think about it. Despite the fact that we hate God, despite the fact that we are at enmity with God, hostile, what are the words of John 3, 16? God did what? He so loved the world. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it doesn't make you stop and think, take your breath away for a second. Like, though we hate God by our sinful fallen nature, this nature, though we are enmity with God, enemies with God, though God does not purpose to save everyone, what is it? This, God loves the world. Isn't that something? God loves, he's not uncaring. 
He's not cold. He's not... God loves the world. But then secondly, we see here the greatness of the gift. The greatness of the gift. This is not always the case. And in fact, you know what? It is probably rarely accurate. But sometimes this is not true. That the value of a gift at Christmas, it says something about the love of a giver. Is that true? I think it's true. It's certainly not always the case, maybe rarely accurate, but sometimes the value of the gift that you get at Christmas says something about the love of the person who's given it to you. I'll give you a couple examples. What about that guy who is so desperate to show his girlfriend <laughs> that she's the one for him? So what does he do? Buys her a belter of a Christmas present, okay? Or what about that dad who loves his son so much, cares for his son so much? What does he do? He spends his hard-earned cash, all of his hard-earned cash, on a Tottenham Hotspur home strip. Yeah, you see it? Sometimes the value of a gift speaks to what? Speaks to the love of the giver. Now, even if that is rarely accurate, it is accurate here. Because look again, think about the value of the gift. What has God done? Look again with me at verse 16. I'll give you a second to find it. Boys and girls, look at it. Think about the value of the gift. What does it say? God so loved the world. What's the gift that he gave his son? Value of a gift speaking to the love of the giver. God's loved the world that he gives his son. Maybe there's something that I need to deal with here, is there? Because lots of you know this verse, do you? You do, right? Lots of you know, actually, by heart, John three sixteen. You learn it where? I don't know. Learn it at home? Learn it at church? Learn it at Sunday school? Maybe your granny taught you it or something? John three sixteen. But maybe there's a little problem because how did you learn it? Like if I was to get you to say it to me, some of you would say it in Portuguese and that would be a bit of a problem for us. But if I got you to say it to me, maybe some of you would say this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Would you say that? A lot of you've got it. And maybe there's an issue because maybe if you're astute and obvious, maybe you know it or observant, you notice that word begotten is not here. And maybe you're wondering, like maybe freaking out and like, what's happened here? Well, do not stress or fret out by it at all because what the ESV is doing is just trying to get as close to that Greek word, the Greek word monogenes as possible. And it's this idea, listen, that God's given his unique son. That's what you're being told this morning in scripture. God has given his one of a kind son And I stand here and say to you, does that not open it up and intensify the love that God must have for you? Because what is the gift he has given you, Christian friend? It's not God has given you his son. What is it? God has given you. He loves you so much. He's given you his his only son. His only son. But all of this, all of that takes us right now to what I think is the beating heart of John 3.16. The real matter of hand, and it's this. In what sense has God the Father given his son? 
I remember, oh, I remember sitting in a church in Inverness years ago and being totally bamboozled by this, like so confused by John 3.16. I had a clue. Like I just didn't understand. In what sense, what does it mean that God the Father gave his son? What does that look, what does that mean, right? You see it? Well, uh, lots of you know that last weekend, one of our elders in the church, uh, Brad Bittner and myself, we went on an excursion. We, uh, we were away from the congregation last week. So Brad and I were speaking at a conference. We were speaking at a church elsewhere in a place called Stornoway. Could you place Stornoway on a map? I wonder. An interest. I want to see who could do that. Uh, Stornoway is a little uh, town on a, a little island, and it's off the west coast of Scotland. So it's right up there in the sort of northwest of the UK, a, lo- a million miles away from here. A million miles away from here. And Stornoway is a really interesting place, and it's a place that has developed a, a particular way of their ministers handling the Bible and speaking about the Bible. Historically, at least, a minister in Stornoway wouldn't do what I do or what Reverend Perkins does and speak through a section of the Bible or a chapter. You know how I'll work through a book, you know, a chapter, a book of the Bible and preach chapter by chapter, that sort of idea. Historically, at least, that's not what uh, happened in Stornoway. What they would do, as we've talked about in the past, is go from the section and narrow into a phrase. So they'd preach on a chapter of the Bible. They would on a text. They would preach on a verse, narrow in, from wide down to narrow, and preach on a text. Now, here's what I think you and I need to do. We need to invert that idea. We need to reverse. Can, can you remember the question that we're trying to answer here? In what sense has God the Father given his Son to the world Well, I think if we don't go from wide to narrow, but if we just widen our lens out from this text, we will see not just one, but two answers to that, okay? So in what sense has God the Father given the Son? Look with me, do it. Look with me to verse 17. Now, remember the question, in what sense has God the Father given his Son? Look at verse 17. Tell me what is in view there in verse 17. Point it out to the children, to the boys and the girls. Verse 17. It's about the sending of the Son. God sends His Son. So I'm the congregation. What is in view there? God sending His Son. What's in view? Come on. It's the incarnation. Sending of the Son. This is the Christmas story. This is the Bethlehem account that's in view. So do you see what I'm saying to you? In what sense has God given his son? In the sense, in one sense, he has sent him amongst us to be with us. The second person of the Trinity, what has he done? He has become like us, become like man. He has added to himself full yet perfect humanity. And if we are thinking practically... My Christian friends, do you not think that should reset our attitude to this festive season? Because come on, analyze your heart and your attitude over the last week or two weeks. And be honest with yourself. Where has your focus been as a Christian? Has it been on, I don't know, Christmas party? Has it been on the travel home to see family? 
Has it been on the Christmas shopping? Do you not see here this morning where our focus should be? Where should all of our attention be as Christians? On the fact that God has given us a gift. And what is the gift he has given us? The God-man. But, but, I said two answers to the question. So look again. Look down at the page. This time look at verse 14. So in what sense has God given us a son? Look at verse 14. Let me read it with you. Look through it. Verse 14. That as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. It's the next bit. So must the son of man be lifted up. And I, I ask you, what is in view? Come on. What is in the forefront of the mind of the writer as he enters into John 3.16? The Son of Man must be lifted up. In the forefront here is the cross. And I say to you this morning, does that not challenge you? Does that not challenge our understanding of God? Because, friends, how have you been thinking about the work of salvation? Like, have you thought about it like this, that the Son is working on the cross at, against God the Father? I mean, slipping into that? Have you been thinking that, that God the Son has been working alone to atone for sin? Do you not see what is put before you here by the Almighty God? You see the crucial role of God the Father. And do you understand that God gave out of love, gave His Son in full view of Calvary? Think about it. God the Father gave his son. And how? Knowing not just that this son was going to become a baby in a manger, but he gives his son knowing that he is going to become a savior on a death-bringing cross. Isn't it incredible? He gives in full view of Calvary, in full view of the cross. And so this morning, we're not just bamboozled and amazed by the love of God. No, consider the cost of that divine love for you. Consider the sacrifice. Consider the depths of John 3.16 that God so loved a hostile world. What does he do with his only cherished, beloved son? He gives him in the incarnation and with his only son, out of love for us, he gives him and gives him over to death. So we see the the grounds of the great gift. We see the greatness of the gift. And then I close, last thing, with the goal of the gift. Very often when I'm asked to preach elsewhere, when I'm preaching in another church, um, I will be tasked with giving what is called a kid's talk. Everybody knows what a kid's talk is, right? It's that moment just before... Um, the kids are kind of usually ushered out in a Sunday school or whatever, where the minister has to affect, act like a fool, and take a toy and make some story out of it for the kids. Uh, so confession time, but don't tell anyone this. When uh, I go preaching elsewhere or ask to preach elsewhere, I usually just regurgitate the same uh, children's talk. And it's a story about a present that I got from my father years ago. My dad uh, bought me a bag of books. 
And I was delighted with this. You know, like I, I st- started open, opening the presents, the wrapping paper. And I was like, nice, wanted that book. And nice, shiny new books. I was delighted with it. And then I got down to the bottom of the bag. And it was this old, tiny book, like an old book. And it stank. <laughs> and it was dusty. And it was tattered. I'm like, thanks, Dad. And I, you know, yeah, great. And I, what I did, I remember, I put it on one of my bookshelves at home and just basically forgot all about it. Went back to everything else, you know, went back to the other books and the other gifts and so forth. Now, it wasn't till much, much later on that I went back to the book and realized what it was, that my dad had actually given me something really precious, valuable, that I looked at the book, opened it up, and it was an early edition, maybe even a first edition, I'd have to check that, of a book by Lord Byron. Now, I felt so stupid. I felt so daft that I had just discarded something that was really valuable. You know, like I had just discarded something out of hand that had real impact or could have real implications for my life. And I felt daft about it. And this is what I want to say. If you are not a Christian this morning, then I'm afraid to say to you that that is the same mistake you're making just now. That we're saying here that our heavenly father has given this gift, this incredible gift, this present to, to, to the world. And here's the, here's the mistake you're making, not seeing the implications of this gift. And to see it, have a look at the verse, look at the end of the verse to see the implications of the verse. Because God loves the world. You say, okay, great, so what? And okay, gives his only son. You say, okay, so what? Look at the end though. Look at the implication of this. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, now, okay, even if you're not a regular at church, what's the first thing that grabs you about that? Isn't it just the black and white nature of existence? Because what you see there, that from God's perspective, he can take all of humanity, all of humanity fits into two groups, two camps, Like from the divine perspective, we either, here's the choice here, we either perish or we enjoy eternal life with God. It's pretty stark, isn't it? It's just black, white, perish, eternal life. But then if you're, again, if you're not a Christian, do you not also see the incredible opportunity by the grace of God that is laid before you here? Because again, I don't know some of you this morning. I do not know you. But is it the case that that God is working within you this morning? And is it the case that you look at this and say, I do not want that. I do not want to remain in hostility with God. I know I'm a sinner and I do not want to perish. Is your heart crying out, what do I do to be saved? And if so, look at it. And look at the wonderful promise that the creator God gives you today. Look at the words that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. 
And so surely you see it. Surely it becomes crystal clear what you must do. Even now, even this morning, this hour, you must believe in Jesus. That it's not just a case of understanding that this child at Bethlehem would grow up and live a perfect life and that he would go on to the cross to bear sins for his people. It's not just a case of intellectually assenting to that work. And No, it's not that. You need to do this. You need to rest in him by faith. Turn from your sin. Go to him. You need to move from this place of self-sufficiency and move to a place where you count on nothing else for your eternal salvation other than the all-sufficient, all-completed, all-atoning work of the Son of God sent into the world out of love by his Father. And so... What do you do? Surely you see it. And this morning, yes, for your eternal salvation, you trust and believe in Jesus. And I end with just a suggestion to the congregation. Very simple. It's this, that at LCPC, why don't we make John 3.16 our verse this Christmas? Like, why we don't we really do that? Why do we not... Just teach this verse to our children. Why don't we do that? Why don't we have it in our hearts? Why don't we learn this verse by rote, by heart? Why don't we have it on our lips and in our heart because of the good news that it brings? Isn't it good news? That through repentance of our sin, through faith, ours is everlasting, eternal life. How? All through the baby born in Bethlehem. All through the Lord Jesus, everlasting life available all through the greatest gift there has ever been. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel this morning. We thank you that the message of Christianity is not that we must turn to do good works and good things to earn acceptance with you. We thank you that the message of Christianity is very different to that. It is not a case that you have a a list that you're checking twice to see if we are naughty or nice. We thank you that it is not about us and our actions, Lord, that we are incapable of doing what is good towards salvation. We thank you instead that it is a message of Jesus, that you have sent your son to live a representative life in perfection, that then at the cross, the Lord Jesus has borne our sin, the sins of his people, and that in him, through faith, we enter immediately into eternity and eternal life, reconciled, with the creator, redeeming, eternal God. Lord, we thank you for the gospel, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.